Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Said, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome back to the podcast. I say welcome back because, God, do you feel the regret, the sorrow in my voice? If you think this doesn't mean anything to me, guys, well, you're wrong. Uh, Two weeks off from the podcast. Uh, Life got in the way, guys. I've been uh, the day job, if you don't know it is a MTV news correspondent interviewer extraordinaire. And I was in Los Angeles for over a week uh, for the MTV movie awards, which were a blast hosted by Amy Schumer. Um, And it was crazy. Okay. I mean, I'll give you the quick down low. It was, so this is my fifth year in a row uh, co-hosting the award show red carpet. So it's a live red carpet thing. Josh Harrow, it's your friendly podcaster in full Ryan Seacrest, Juliana Rancic mode, hopefully doing it with more class and dignity. No, no offense to you guys, but I do my own thing. I do a little differently anyway. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a. Uh, it's a kind of an out of body experience to host one of those things. It's one thing to ho- to do carpets where you're like on other people's turf, but when you're hosting it for MTV and it's like our show and you're, you know, you're in the center of it all. It's, it's a, it's a great feeling. It's also a lot of responsibility. It's also a lot of balls in the air, people talking in your ear, people screaming, <laughs> but it was great. Uh, my co-host was Jesse J. This is the, the crazy part of, hosting these pre-shows for MTV is every year uh, I tend to have the last few years I've been co-hosting with somebody that's a lot different than me in many respects. Um, It comes from a much different walk of life um, at my position. So like for instance, this year, Kelly Osborne was one of our uh, hosts. She wasn't with me, but Jesse J the big humongous pop star songwriter was my co-host, which was crazy. Like when else am I going to hang out with Jesse J for a day? (laughs) Um, She could not have been sweeter. She got off a plane from Australia. She's hosting. I think she's like a judge on the voice in Australia. Uh, Got off a plane at six in the morning, Sunday morning, straight into rehearsals. We rehearsed all day and uh, we were off and running uh, live uh, for half an hour, but taping stuff all throughout the day. You know, maybe this is too much information, but it's, I don't know, maybe it's interesting to you guys, this know sort of how the sausage is made. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Ran backstage, did interviews with people like Vin Diesel, which is amazing. You should look it up on MTV's YouTube page. It's a, it's about a five minute interview with Vin Diesel that's been viewed like 6 million times. I'm not even joking. You guys love Vin Diesel. People love Vin Diesel. Who knew? I mean, I like Vin Diesel, but people love Vin Diesel. Um, it's a kind of crazy interview because he's um, kind of near tears throughout it. He has just sung a song about Paul Walker, which ironically, here, here's a fun little context for this interview. So I'm backstage at movie awards. I have no idea what's going on on stage. I literally have no vantage point. There's no monitor. I don't know what's happening in the NCB movie awards. All I do know is, uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Eric is texting me updates on what's going on on stage. Uh, he texts me, Vin just sang an ode to Vin. Okay. So that makes sense to me in a weird way. Vin Diesel, if you don't know, is a singer. Sometimes he's posted some bizarre videos of himself singing Rihanna songs, et cetera, on Facebook that have gone viral. So I'm like, okay, it's a bit. Amy Schumer had him do a bit. What I didn't know until after the fact was that this was a heartfelt song from the 
Fast and Furious movie that he was singing kind of as an ode to Paul, Paul Walker, of course, sadly deceased. Uh, Eric had miswritten, uh, wrote to my to me saying it was an ode to Vin. So what happens if you watch this interview? The fun fact: if you watch the interview, I'm smiling the first minute or two of the interview because I think Vin has just come off stage doing the most hysterical thing ever. When in fact he's sung a song to his deceased friend. So there's a little uh, little fun fact <laughs> for you guys. Um, I want to say also, trying something new this week um, and in weeks ahead, um, I want to hear from you guys, definitely, always. Um, and I said to you guys, you know, send me any questions you have for me. I'm happy to a- answer anything silly, stupid, awesome. Uh, just use the hashtag happy, sad, confused. Tweet it at me or just use the hashtag happy, sad, confused and send in your questions and I'll answer them right here on the intro to these shows. So without further ado, here's the first one. We'll just do this one this week and next week, hopefully you guys will send me some more questions. This one comes from jonesing for, I don't know what you're jonesing for. It looks like a saltine according to your, uh, your photo jonesing Four's question. Greatest moment in your star Wars fanboy life. Excellent question, Jonesing Four, because if you have listened to me, uh, if you look at me, you can tell I'm a giant Star Wars fan. Uh, I'm, I'm a, Star Wars is, I, I'm obsessed with. I totally hit the sweet spot for me. I know that's not unusual, but it really is a profoundly <laughs> important thing in my life. And uh, I, I've watched the trailer. I'm taping this on Friday. The trailer for the new The Force Awakens came out yesterday, and I'm obsessed with it. Like I'm, I can be jaded about trailers. I almost teared up watching it. Anyway, that's not the answer of your question. My the greatest moment in my Star Wars fanboy life. Um, I've had the privilege of interviewing a bunch of the cast from the original films. I've interviewed Mark Hamill. Um, I've interviewed Anthony Daniels, but I had never done an extended interview with Harrison Ford until um, Comic Con. Was it last year? I think it was. It was a year, a year and a half ago. So maybe 2013. He was there for Ender's Game, and it was live. We were streaming live on NTV.com, and it was so much fun. Harrison Ford's reputation, as and rightfully so, is he's a bit of a curmudgeon in interviews. He's really dry, um, but it was a very. It was kind of like a combative but friendly interview. In that, I, I, um, I don't know. I think in a weird way, we actually got along. Nothing controversial happened, but you you guys should look it up on, again, on YouTube or whatever. I'm sure if you Google Josh Horowitz, Harrison Ford, Comic-Con, you'll find the interview. My favorite moment of it was, um, uh, I think at one point I said to him, like, I feel like we're not clicking Harrison because <laughs> I was worried. He was just staring at me and he just looked at me in that dry Harrison Ford way and just said, no, no, this is me clicking with you. <laughs> And that was a pretty huge fanboy moment for me. Um, so yes, I can't wait to cover the force awakens, uh, in a few months. JJ Abrams, uh, is I'm a huge fan of, so I'm really confident that this one will deliver. But anyway, that's a talk for another time right now. I want to talk to you about this week's episode, which is Jennifer Morrison. Uh, I love Jennifer Morrison, Jennifer Morrison, uh, full disclosure. And we mentioned in the interview, 
is an acquaintance of mine, thankfully, uh, through my brother. My brother uh, is named Adam Horowitz and is a very successful writer and created co-created a show called Once Upon a Time that Jennifer is the star of. So as you might imagine, over the years, I've gotten a chance to get to know the cast. And uh, Jennifer is awesome. She's, um, you'll hear it in this interview, uh, very talented, very funny, um, just a, a, a easy person to talk to and um, excited for her. We talk about this interview. She's got a new short film. She has just directed her directing debut that I can honestly say is great. Um, it's called warning labels. It's at the Tribeca film festival. Catch it. If you can this week, it's going to be at some other film festivals. Just look out for it. Warning labels directed by Jennifer Morrison. I have a feeling she'll be directing more. Um, and it shows a lot of uh, great promise, and I'm sure she's going to uh, kill her future projects as well behind the camera as she does on. Um, so that's about it, guys. As always, hit me up on Twitter. Send me your questions. Hashtag happy, sad, confused. And uh, in the meanwhile, enjoy Jennifer Morrison. I'm also frankly thankful. I know we haven't had enough great women on the show. Um, here's one for you guys. And uh, next week's guest is another uh, amazing actress. Um, I won't say who yet because you never know. But um, it should be another good one. Anyway, uh, here's my chat with Jennifer Morrison. Welcome to Super Casual Fun Chat with Jennifer Morrison. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see you too. <laughs> I like your glasses. Thanks. They're super cool. Um, we were just talking about our mutual love affair with New York. Yes. Um, you spent a lot of time here over the years, yeah? Yeah, I have. I have a place here. So it's been a nice excuse to be back in my favorite yeah. bed. I, uh, I'll preface. We'll get into the short, which I, I, I told you I, I really loved. I honestly did. <laughs> Thank it's, you. It's really good. Um, but you should know in my copious research, I started this morning by watching a Nick Lachey music video uh, with you <laughs> oh, and Dax no. Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was my wake up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does she connect to MTV? I get it. I get no, it. No, it's not. I'm not even trying to connect it. Honestly, I was just like looking at the IMDb and I'm like, huh, that doesn't look right. That looks interesting. Yeah. Um, that must have been a big high point in this illustrious career. I feel like it was maybe the peak of my career. <laughs> posting since then. I've just, it's been a gentle coast downward since then. Um, yeah, yeah. I uh, That was such a random thing. I was uh, living... In this little apartment, I should not make noise with no, things that feel I'm free. fiddling with while that's I'm talking the, on a that's microphone. That's the inception totem. It's okay. Uh, I was living in this little apartment in Hollywood, and a friend of mine who's a director called my phone over and over and over again at 4.45 or something in the morning until I finally woke up and picked up and was like, what? <laughs> what is so important? This better be the best job ever. He's like... I'm in Calabasas and you need to come here now. And I was like, for what? I'm in, I'm so tired. <laughs> and he was like, it's a Nick Lachey video. I, I need you. I just need you. And I was like, what? <laughs> so anyway, that's um, friendship. That's yeah, true. You know, you gotta, you gotta be there for your friends. So, um, I went out there and that was the first time I met, uh, Nick and, and he, that was when he was with Jessica and, and Ashley sure. was there. And, and honestly, I had a lovely time. I was really happy to do it. Dax Shepard was in the video yeah. and that was when I met Dax. So a lot of really nice friendships came out right. of doing that. And, uh, we had a really good time. So for, for, it was, for checkered pasts, that's as, if that's as bad as it gets, it's not well, so bad that you know of, we'll just leave it at that. We're just getting started. <laughs> See, I, I warm you up. I lull you into a false sense of security and then I, go in for it <laughs> um 
I, so we should uh, we should and I do want to talk about this this uh, short that you direct. This is your directing debut, yeah, right? This it is, is really cool. Thank you. Um, so we're in uh, Tribeca Film Festival. Just yeah. got underway as we tape this. Um, we're hours probably uh, what day or tomorrow's I, your premiere, right? Tomorrow, yeah. My my film premieres tomorrow. Yeah. So um, was this something in the cards you've been trying to do for a while? You know, you it's interesting. It just felt a little bit um, faded, actually, and it's something I've been intrigued to do for a long time. Um, yeah. I think when you're on camera for so many years, you start to notice certain things, pick up certain things. You start to see how the machine all works and how the puzzle fits together. And so I started to feel like I had a a pretty solid understanding of all of that and um, did a couple of indie films where we were under such time duress and such stress that I I ended up being really uh, involved with the directors in terms of, sure. okay, how do we make this efficient? How do we get it done? How do we get the coverage we need? You know, And so in that process, I, actually, I also learned a lot. Um, and so then I was really, uh, several times people have been like, oh, are you going to direct? Are you going to direct? And I said, I'm really thinking about it. And I found this piece, this short film called Warning Labels that my friend Janelle Riley wrote that I really loved. I thought it was, it had kind of a quirky fun overtone but had really strong undertones of symbolism about life and connectedness and not connectedness and people trying to find themselves and I just liked kind of that mixture of both things and so um, I treated it like film school I thought well this is the best way to learn is to just do. Yep. So I um, had worked with this producer, Andrew Kahlberg, on Some Girls, which is a film that Neil Le- Butte wrote. Sure. And Andrew produces pretty much everything or most of the things that Neil works on. And so then Andrew and I got very close on that film, and he said, I'll produce a short film if you want to do it. And I always joke that he's my producing soulmate. <laughs> you got to find those people, yeah, you know, those yeah. people where you just fit with them in a yeah. way where something can actually uh come out of it yeah. so uh, he was incredibly supportive and instrumental in building a team and a crew and and helping me put together department heads and sure um did it feel i mean you know it's a short so you're not it's not like you're not talking a 30 40 day no, show you yeah. probably shot this in a few days yeah, i would we shot imagine it in two days yeah so like that's intense though it was you, really intense. <laughs> <laughs> the first day we shot nine pages with four actors coming in coming out sitting down standing up moving around i was like Okay, if I can shoot nine pages on my first day of directing, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Like, if I get through this, I'm going to be okay. Well, and not to mention, I mean, it really, it ha- I mean, the first shot uh, is a tra- like a, like a continuous long, shot, yeah. which you may or may not have masked a couple uh, cuts in there. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but it has such a great, it really has a nice warmth to it and a tone to it. And it's really funny. It has Karen Gillan, who I love and yeah, adore. Yeah, she's awesome. And the whole cast is really good in it. Um but yeah, it, it's it's I don't know. I I, I'm, I confess I don't consume a lot of shorts. And it makes me want to kind of like yeah. look out there for more of them because it's, it's it's, it's an fun. interesting medium because you have such a short period of time to get people on your side yeah. and and to um, take them on a ride. And part of the reason I wanted to do that uh, long opening shot, the first I think it's like a minute and twenty two seconds or something like that yeah. is one long shot. And part of the reason I wanted to do that was to give people time to settle into yeah. watching what they were watching because the reality with a short film is most people are going to watch it on a computer yep. or an iPhone or some kind of smaller device. And so I took that very much into consideration in terms of even when the labels pop out and things like that. Yeah, like yeah. on a big screen, you can read their labels. Yes. But I knew that most people were not going to see it in a theater yeah. on a big screen. So, um, you know, I really was thinking about that. I thought, you know what, when, when I get sent stuff, I'm always kind of like half distracted, half distracted. And then I settle in about a minute in and then it really has me. So 
I kind of built that into the structure yeah. so that people had a chance to kind of go, oh, wait, why is she waving at a guy in a hazmat suit? I was, <laughs> you know, I kind of built that yep. distra- distraction factor into the, to the film. Um, and then we get into the meat of what's going on between everybody and the warning labels and all that stuff. And that's kind of once I feel like I sort of, yeah. you know, seduced everyone in. <laughs> well, the men with your, your fancy and brother that, to be of fair filmmaking. Too, I, because I did look at this as film school for me, I had several films that I loved that had moments that I really admired that I did my own version of those things. Oh, so tell me, I get clue, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, the opening shot for me was like my version of the opening shot of Harold and Maude. Oh, sure. And the wow. difference is they're looking at the protagonist yeah. and I'm from the perspective yes. of the protagonist. But it was still a similar journey of you see his just his feet. He comes down mm-hmm. the steps and you see more and more and more of him. And yeah. then you see him put the little, he even puts a name tag on yeah, actually. Yeah. And he lights the candles and he. He's just not in the CDC. It's just a slightly different. <laughs> Yes, he's faking suicide, which is a little different. But um, so yeah, so that was kind of nice. my template for what I was sure. um, inspired by for that. Um, and th- being inside the hazmat suit, I was trying to get that feeling of the graduate when he was in the scuba gear, yep. and he's you know just taking in the world with so much between you and the world, yeah. and feeling so disconnected and disoriented. So there were all these things that I had pulled from some of my favorites, and thought, all right, I want to find a way to do this so that I can learn how to do it, yeah. you know, and then hopefully next time I direct, kind of grow and branch out from there. So does do you have like the bug now? Is it sort of like because you? I mean, you have to feel satisfied. And excited about this one yeah. and you're in a film festival big one like it's yeah, kind of cool I'm very excited I you know I mean I think the biggest thing was I didn't know what would come of it I just made what I imagined yeah. so that was the most exciting part of it um, and then I actually uh, my friend Anthony Timbakis who wrote Warrior um, oh. the film that I was in um, he really loved the short film and has given me a script um, has optioned me a script that I am obsessed with and it's very different from Warning Labels, but at the same time kind of takes some of the themes we were exploring in Warning Labels and yeah. takes them to another level. So it feels like the right next step thematically for right. me as a director. So um, the goal is to do that next hiatus. So, Exciting. Yeah, That's amazing. Um, so I feel like I should put the, the disclaimer up top. I'll probably put it in the intro as well. but. Okay. Just so people know, yeah, my brother is Adam Horowitz. Your brother is Adam Horowitz, who who is, is my boss. Is kind of your boss. He's definitely my <laughs> he's boss. Me, I don't think he it's knows I'm doing this today. Bit. He's one hundred percent my boss. <laughs> this is a unique interview in that I was thinking this morning, like both of us. He admittedly a hundred times more than I have have written for you in a way. You were yes. very kind enough to do a, a little part in a project that I'm still, that which was very fun. That was amazing. That was speaking of a day of shooting nine pages in one. Oh. Day. Oh my god, you guys were churning it out. That I don't was, know how you did it. That was bananas, but so much fun. We'll talk about that at a later date when we sell it to some huge network, which Excellent. we're working on. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been so fun to get to know you over the years at, at these Comic-Cons and things through my job and through Adam. Um, and I do feel like one of the things I appreciate, like, you, you know, when you talk about these reference points like Harold and Maude and stuff is... 
in our conversations and in reading about you, I feel like you're definitely like I know you're a voracious reader. I know yeah. you 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 consume pop culture. You are a consumer <laughs> as much as I you am are an excellent consumer. <laughs> this is important. My credit cards prove it. <laughs> <laughs> so were you that growing up? Were you like from no? Start? This is a, I, I it's sort of um, well newish. It's not new recently. I would say you're like two years ago. You're like there's this thing called the internet. <laughs> oh my Can god, the interweb. It it's real. Um, I would say since college, yeah. I was. I had a really, in a good way, I think, a really sort of sheltered upbringing. I was raised in a suburb of Chicago, and uh, my parents are teachers. And so I, I was always around books and literature. Like, that's always been a part of my life, and, a, yeah. and, and um, reading has always been a part of my life. Um, but back then, it was more just the classics and, and just the stuff that you were reading for school. Yep. And, um, and I didn't have a lot of points of reference of pop culture. I actually, interestingly, last night got asked why... I felt a little bit um, socially awkward in high school. And I said, because I didn't really consume pop culture mm. until college. And so I didn't have reference points for things. I hadn't seen the movies people had seen. I hadn't heard the music people had heard. Um, so, so, I, so why was that? It was partly just, I was a really driven student. Yeah. And so I was totally consumed with all the AP classes and yeah. the calculus and the this and the that. And I, I wanted to keep all my options open. I was in the show choir. I was in the marching band. I was <laughs> on the soccer team. I was a cheerleader. cheerleader right. Like It was ridiculous. And so I, <laughs> oh I didn't see past any of that yeah. you know and my parents because they worked as teachers at the high school their life was consumed by the marching band and music and yep. the high school and that world so my life was because you sort of become what your parents are sure. until you start to pull away from that and find your own identity and so it wasn't until I was away and in college and this is a story I probably shouldn't tell but because it's you I will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just us I just remember very early on in college it was like maybe the first time I was kind of like making out with a guy in his room you know and he had uh, Radiohead's OK Computer playing mm -hmm. and I was like whoa <laughs> Wait, are you listening to this <laughs> what is this like wait, he's like yeah, yeah yeah come back and I was like no this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And he's like, right, 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 come here. And I was like, what is this? What is this called? Who makes this? Where does this come from? Like, it was like I like aliens had landed. The poor guy was just like, oh, great. <laughs> Should have put a different album on, you know? Like, Sucks to have good taste in music in that one instance. And then it was like, you know, that was before iTunes and all this stuff. So I'm like, the next day, I'm like at the CD store trying to find every Radiohead CD and trying to figure it out. Those are you the know? great moments, though. Everybody has that. I mean, I remember, mm. yeah, like we all have it. Like, I remember like first watching The Godfather like and I'm like 15 oh. or something and putting that double cassette in and you're like why have you people not fucking told me about this? <laughs> exactly. How has this existed for all this time without me? <laughs> it's amazing but it's also super exciting. Yeah, because when I was reading about you in high school I'm like oh my god I don't know if I would have enjoyed being around her. This no. is a type A oh, yeah. crazy person. No, I was um, what's her name from uh, Election. Yeah, yeah, I was 100% Tracy Flick. <laughs> And you see me like these are my glasses now. I've figured out how to wear cool ones, but I'm minus eight in both eyes. Oh, wow. I am blind, <laughs> and I did not have nice ones back then. So I had terrible glasses, and I, you know, I don't know. I was really trying to get A's, straight well, A's, and well, as you say, it's a lot. I mean, your parents were teachers. Were they yeah, teaching at your school? They did you were. Have them? That doesn't help either. No. I mean, I, the thing is. The, the the sort of duality of it is that my dad was one of the best teachers I've ever had. He's truly extraordinary. Yeah. He was teacher of the year of, in Illinois in 2004 and well-deserved. I mean, he really is one of the most extraordinary teachers I've ever had. Um, so 
I, I wouldn't want to trade having had him as a teacher, but then not only was I socially awkward, <clears throat> I was in the marching band, and even the kids in the marching band didn't like me because they thought I was first chair because of nepotism. Right. So I, I, <laughs> you were... I was really... <laughs> I really, you know, kept my nose in a book yeah. so that I... Uh, you really do sound like Tracy Flick. I like, was, kind of like... I really was good at making frenemies or something. <laughs> I don't know what, the, so what you call So when did you it. relax? When did you finally kind of, like, was it the Radiohead night and the next day, like, suddenly... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think by senior year, I started to get a sense of it, but by then I was, like, way too... I, I was way too, like, in a hole with yeah. the people that I was around to figure that out. But by then, hadn't you already... You'd already been doing a little acting and yeah, modeling, Yeah, I'd right? been working pretty consistently. I, I always did well with grown-ups. Like, yeah. it was always... I was great with my teachers. I was great with adults. I just did didn't know how to connect with people my own age. And yeah. then then I really, I just got much better about it in, in college. And, um, you know, part of it is just being out of an environment you've been in for a long time and breaking certain habits or yeah. getting some perspective on yourself, having new friends that go like, hey, why are you doing that? You know, weirdly, one of my best friends from college kind of changed my name. Like, my parents had always called me Jenny growing yeah. up. And, and not, I don't really... I didn't have like an issue with it or anything. I never really thought about it. It's just what they called me. Sure. And then um, got to college and my friend Colleen, who I adore and is still one of my best friends, she's like, oh God, there was this girl, Jenny, that I really didn't like in high school. You're Jen. And I was like, oh. And so everywhere we went, she was so social. She's like, this is Jen. <laughs> so I said like I had a you name reinvented. change. Yeah. I was totally kind of reinvented. And um, I don't know. I, I think some of the characters that I played on stage mm -hmm. started to really change me as well. You know, you start exploring things that are really outside of the wheelhouse you should be playing in because you're in a college theater setting where you're playing a 50-year-old woman right. when you're 18 right. and, you know, just th things where they're great growing experiences but would make no sense in the real world right. but force you to consider the world in different ways and force you to consume different kinds of material in order to do a good job. So sure. a lot of the ways I started to find those touch tones in pop culture and literature was by studying to play a character and then trying to consume what would make sense for them and then going, oh, well, but then I also, I like that. And then kind yeah. of branching out from there. Hey guys, Josh Harrods here with a little message from one of our sponsors stone reset from gemvera uh this is a service guys uh stone reset is a service that lets you handcraft new settings for your unique and previous stones from your existing jewelry collection so you can refresh your jewelry box essentially you can transform all that those valuable pieces that you have that have been collecting dust into actual stylish and meaningful pieces that you can actually wear again with pride and you know all that uh you can reset your special heirloom stones you can turn them into lifelong engagement rings. You can update existing engagement rings through Reset for special anniversaries that are coming up. And best of all, it's super simple. You can request a free, insured, prepaid shipping kit uh, to send a stone in for measurement. Uh, after their expert jewelers inspect it, you'll be sent a list of possible designs. You choose your favorite design with your preferred metal, any accent stones, and they'll handcraft the new setting right from scratch. And... If you don't love any of the options, don't worry. They'll send the jewelry immediately back and paid and insured packaging, no questions asked. So get started at stonereset.com slash happy, and you'll get a 15% off your order. That's stonereset.com slash happy. So 
So, okay, so flash forward to 2015 where you've yeah. gone to the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> kind of maybe or not. Yeah, everyone just thinks I'm lying about my past. They're like, what? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, know. I know now. So what, what do you what do you consume now? Everything, anything? What, oh, what's I your filter? I wish I had more hours in the day. I always have piles of books and such great recommendations of things that I want to read and see. I, I've been doing a thing where I work through um, directors that I admire from start to finish. So I'll start with their first film sure. and I'll work all the way through. I love that, yeah. Um, I find that I learn a lot about the process and about their the way they see filmmaking by seeing where they start and where they grow and what themes they explore yeah. and um, just visually how things change. And um, so I've done that with several directors and did several directors before I even shot warning labels, but I've continued that since then. Who's been a, a cool one or two that, that you've... recently Igmar Bergman. Oh. I've been really, um, Rose MacGyver was my roommate this last year in Vancouver because she was shooting iZombie right. while shooting Once Upon a Time and she would come home and she'd be like are you watching some weird porn film again? <laughs> it's like every time right. she walked in it was like a black and white yeah. bizarre language chess with and death I'm like, like what's know, happening? I'm like sitting on the edge of the table like trying to figure it out and rewinding things and she's like what are you doing? Can't we just watch Love Actually <laughs> please? Um, so yeah and then you know interestingly I right before Igmar, I did um, Lars von Trier, and I don't. It's weird because I, I don't necessarily. I wouldn't sit down and be like, "What a fun movie to watch!" Right? His stuff is so it's intense. Brutal, yeah. But then also reading about his life changed the way I started seeing his films. Mm. So he was raised on this. Not to get too no, far I'm into interested. him. Yeah, sorry, yeah. he was raised on a communist like. Um, or a Marxist commune, I yeah. guess, and and there were no rules and no regulations. He and as a child, that left him totally panicked at all times because no one told him when to eat or how to get food or when to do his homework. Or there were no right. It was just a free total for all. Free of, for all. Yeah. And kids without any kind of limits or structure feel like they might die at any moment. You know, they're just cognitively at that age yeah. we're at a place where if you don't feel like someone's going to provide for you you actually think you're going to die all the time yeah. and so he he was raised in this state of panic and it he feels like that's what's caused a lot of his phobias and his uh, like OCD kind of things and obsessiveness over certain things and and then you see that a lot in his films, the way he deals with this idea of boundaries and limits and structure. Yeah. And around the time he was um, doing Breaking the Waves, which I think is my favorite film of his, um, he was having sort of a religious experience. And so you can feel that in the filmmaking. Like he was, he kind of got to a place in his life where I, I'm not quoting it exactly, but yeah, he said yeah. something like, you know, if you're going to choose between not believing in God and believing in God, he goes, um, I don't think the nothingness is going to judge you for choosing to believe in God. Right. So it was almost like by default, he felt like he wanted to have the structure and the ritual sure. of, of, of Catholicism. And so you feel that in his film, once you know that it's interesting. Yeah. Cause it adds a whole nother layer. Cause you're right. And he's clearly like a, you know, he's an extreme figure that has totally. said some insane things, Oh, totally. but like, Without context, you're right. That context kind of like gives a whole nother layer to those, which are already yeah. masterpieces. I would agree. I would put Dancer in the Dark in there too, too, and a couple of them are pretty. I mean, just the stuff he's done. His it's. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't, I, you know, I, unfortunately people say dumb things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he well, he's has, a provocateur too. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. And I also think there's a language barrier possibly. I don't know. I, you know, I don't really know. I just know from, I'm kind of looking at these people purely technically yeah. of like the films they've made and the things that they've done technically. But I, I do find myself really differently invested in a film because having now, even though it was only 12 minutes, but now having made a film, you, I realized that it, it's just such a huge part of me. It feels yeah. so vulnerable. I remember when I pushed send the first time I sent the link to the first few friends, I was visibly shaking. Yeah. And I didn't feel bad about what I sent, but it was it felt like the most vulnerable thing I had ever done because so much of me was in it. And I didn't write it, and yeah. it's not my story, and it's not about me, but every frame of it, every breath of it, every sound effect, every step, every joke that lands or doesn't land or, you know, it's like, it's all, they were all my choice, you know? And so you feel like, oh my God, I'm revealing so much right. of myself. Well, it's interesting because like, <clears throat> and obviously there's so much that you've acted in, so much a body of work that you you obviously feel connected to in a similar way, but yeah. it's, it's another level, I would think. And I would think just to protect yourself over the years, you can't feel that kind of extreme emotion with oh, every yeah. hour of Once Upon a Time or well, else you're going to drive yourself insane. Right. I mean, you can in terms of being present in the takes, but I also but the after effect, I don't have too. control over what they choose. Right. So I can build a character and I can do hundreds of hours of research and I can give all sorts of my soul to it. And someone else is going to decide which moments are important and right. someone else is going to decide what stays and what goes and how it gets cut together. They're going to move the scenes around and I'll think that I've built this arc and then it's put together in a totally different way. And you're like, but I was, oh, okay, well, now that's there <laughs> and that's, oh, cool, all right. Um, so you, you kind of have to like let go as an actor and go like, I did what I could, right. but it's like putting dye in a cup of water. It's like, you know, I drop my little red dropper in it and, and it goes through it, but yeah. ultimately it's someone else's cup of water, yeah. you know? So with directing, like, it's my cup of water. Like, I'm the one who's actually in control of what I'm going to say at the end of the day and sure. who's, what what I'm putting in someone's hand is like a complete package, you know? So. Um, that feels uh, like I have to take a lot more responsibility yes. for it in the yeah. long run. <laughs> so uh, going back, I'm curious, like looking at like the transition that you made in just growing up, going from like, you know, teen actor right. to adult. <laughs> um, like, did it feel kind of seamless? Did it feel like there was consistency? Did it feel, does it feel when you look back, when people like me insist on making you look back, mm -hmm. um, does it feel like there are huge ups and downs? Does it feel like a consistent, like I've been a working consistent actor or was it like, were there years early on where you're like, this might just not be, this is not going to work. Um, I don't, I don't think that I ever, I had like a stretch of time at one point couple years into being in LA where I didn't work for like 10 months and because I'm such a workaholic that felt like an eternity right. looking back it really wasn't that big of a deal right. um, but the way I've always you know it's interesting because I always say people take different um, transportation in mm. the business you know it's like some people get on an elevator and they like go from the ground floor to the penthouse yeah. in one shot you know and some people are on an escalator where it's like no i don't even really have to walk up the stairs like i'm still going like a little you know at a certain incline yeah. but but like it's they're sort of supported and they can just sure. sort of hang out while they go up the escalator i feel like i've definitely just been on stairs but very consistently like i'm right. i have been stepping one step at a time and experiencing each step and taking it in and um 
you know, there's certain things that can be arduous about that. But the good thing about it is that I feel like it's been in my control to keep stepping. Yeah. So that's the part of it that I appreciate is that, you know, along the way, I feel like it has been continuous instead of really yeah. like spiky ups and downs, at least at this point. Hey guys, today's episode of Happy, Sad, Confused is brought to you by one of our favorite sponsors. They sponsored earlier episodes, our friends at Pop Sugar, the Pop Sugar Must Have Box. The Pop Sugar Must Have Box, as you probably know by now, and if you don't, shame on you. It's a monthly subscription featuring the absolute best of products at fashion, beauty, home, fitness, food, and more. And best of all, it's curated by the Pop Sugar editors, includes over $100 of hand-picked full-size products. But best of all, it's only $39.95. The contents are a surprise each month. It's a perfect gift for someone special in your life. And hey, it's probably a perfect gift for you too. <laughs> uh, past must sugar must have boxes have had tons of great stuff in it. They've had the Bliss Beauty Scrub, which alone was $48 in value. Sadly, this month is already sold out, but... But <laughs> you can secure next month's right now before it's gone. Um, past boxes have included products from uh, Smashbox and William Sonoma, all sorts of amazing brands. So get your box now by using the code HAPPY for $5 off at musthave.popsugar.com. That's code HAPPY at musthave.popsugar.com. How big a moment is it in like a relatively young career when you're you get a lead role, but it's it's you know I mean you're self aware enough like yeah. when you get a lead role in like Urban Legends, right? Right. That was the, probably the first lead I would guess. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. 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 In, or at least a studio film yes, of that kind for of sure. type. Yeah. Um, is that just all like oh my god I've made it this is awesome I get to be the person here or is it like I know what this is it is what it is but it's still cool you know I mean what's yeah. the attitude around that I you know I was a little bit ignorant back then because I was still in college I shot right. that film while I was in college and you had just discovered Radiohead I had just you were barely... discovered Radiohead <laughs> I basically had just like been birthed out of my my little eggshell um, but I uh I didn't come from a family that knew about the business. Right. I, you know, my parents are very logical and did the, did a great job of helping me make early decisions. But I didn't have anyone around me that could really help guide me and say, you know what, because you're the lead in this film, like you should have a great manager when right. you finish this or you need to make sure this or that. I didn't have those kind of voices in my life. And so I didn't know what to expect. And I also didn't know how to strategically position myself for the next move. Sure. And I also really wanted to finish school. So I didn't want to leave Chicago. I wanted to finish at Loyola. I finished a year early, which helped. Um, but Tracy Flick again. I, yeah. Come on. Oh, no. Just stop already. I left her. I left her at Loyola University. She's like okay. literally buried in the rocks by the sure beach. She comes out in moments. No, no. I just like I'm just gonna let her be like I we should put a little gravestone there. Like I bet you've never I bet you're like the person that literally never comes to set without knowing their lines like backwards oh, and forwards. Yeah, no. like, yeah, I, I definitely... Is, should be expected, but not, I'm sure some people don't. Yeah, and you know, everybody has their... Mo I certainly... I feel like it happens like twice a year maybe where no matter how hard I've worked on something, my brain has just decided that that, that day is not the day. Right. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, I have different tricks that I figured out how to get through to like force myself to remember things or... Um, running stuff over and over again will help in those situations or whatever. So I, I always have ways out, but um, I, I've I found in general in the business that um, preparedness. I don't know if that's a word. I'm going to make it up though. For my dictionary. <laughs> Let's go with it. 
preparedness is the key to freedom right. because if you are ready for the day, whether you're a director or an actor, or whatever your job is, if you're really ready for the day, then you have the freedom to be artistic. Yeah. So if I come into work and I'm not, if I haven't thought through my lines and I haven't thought through the arc of the storytelling and I haven't memorized, then I'm just hoping to say my lines right. And that's not a performance. Whereas if I know that I'm prepared and I know that I've thought through all the logic, I cannot worry about that. No, it's in me somewhere. Yeah. And then I can actually make choices and I can connect with people and I can be present. And that's what to me is exciting about acting. So in order for me to be able to enjoy what I do, then being prepared is is helpful. What's been when you look at the films, not necessarily to say the film that turned out the best, but like the experience that's like the one that you're trying to get back to, whether it's the filmmaker you're working with or the the company of actors. Um, what is the high watermark for you in terms of like that's the kind of environment that where I feel so satisfied yeah. and rewarded? I would say there's well, every job has bits of that for sure, um, and so I don't mean to diminish any job by not including them in this, but um, I would say there's two sort of pinnacle moments for different reasons. One being Warrior. Um, it was just such a phenomenal group of actors. Gavin O'Connor was an incredible director to work with because he pushes and pushes and pushes and asks and asks and asks. Yeah. And I answered something like 150 questions about the character for him before we even met, you know, it was like, or we met the meeting, you know, the first audition, sure. but like before we even sat down. So asking like, just sort of, what do you think? What would this, it what's was like, her? what was her first kiss? What was her first love? Where, where did she go on vacation the first time? What was her first pet? What was, you know, building a life, which I do a version of that anyway to build a history for a character but yeah. um i'd never had a director be so like uh, willing to participate in that yeah. process which is great because then you have someone to bounce it off of instead of doing it internally with yourself yeah um and he thought of questions that i hadn't thought of before and then he had joel edgerton and i do the same thing together as a couple um so we built a marriage together and you don't always have the luxury of doing that with the actor you're playing across from so then by the time we showed up on set we had agreed on memories and a life that sort of yeah. felt very alive before we even got to work. So all of those things, like I was saying earlier about the idea of freedom, all of those things gained this space of ultimate freedom where there was so much room to play and to just be and to just feel confident that all of that structure and all yeah. that foundation was there. Um, I also thought the story was really special. Um, Masa, who, whose last name I can't pronounce, but was the DP, I think is so brilliantly talented. Mm -hmm. um, and he brought something really special to the way everything was framed in the camera movement. Um, and interestingly, it was the only project that I've worked on in a long time that had playback. And I think for some people that would freak them out, but because I started in Chicago putting myself on tape for things, I had learned how to grow from a tape instead of freak out from yeah. a tape. And so what would happen is we, we'd go, we'd do, you'd shoot the scene maybe once or twice, and then we'd go back and we'd look at it at the monitor. And so often, like leaning on your left foot, you realize, oh, now they see both my eyes. Or mm. just moving the tiniest bit, depending on what lens you're on and sure. what's going, the way it's lit, you can be feeling something all day long, but the camera might not be catching it. And if you know you're feeling it and then you see that they're not catching it, you can make the tiniest adjustments so that they're getting all of what you have to offer. Yeah. And so it was a nice experience to also be included in that and be able to make those little adjustments 
to be able to give as much as possible. Sure. Um, so that was definitely, I felt like a really just special, and I'm very close to everyone from that. As I said, Anthony, who wrote it, and I'm still close to Gavin, I'm still close to Joe. Like, it's just, we all stayed very yeah. close from that film. I have such affection for, for what Joel, and Joel is another multi-hyphenate who's like writing He's and directing now. He's got a big now, like, film he just directed that for Jason Blum that I think is going to be really good. Do you want to know something crazy? This is a tangent, but you know, so it's about a stalker from like college, so they sent me, have, <laughs> do you heard about this, like the viral marketing they did for this? No. So usually you get really crappy kind of like swag for a movie, like yeah. it's like a shirt or whatever. I got a box in the mail with this mug in it okay. that is the, my college newspaper's name. So it's basically it's the Herald. My co- I was the editor of the college newspaper, okay. and it basically has a note that's from Gordo, like, "Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Found this at a flea market, thinking of you." I went home to my wife, and I'm like, "There's somebody stalking me. I don't know what this oh is." Oh my god, because it's weirdo. So it's so oh they, the movie's not called that anymore. It, it's called the Gift. But it's it was called, called the Gift. weirdo. Is before. that right? Yeah. So yeah, so I think they, they should so continue they calling it weirdo. That is a good name. They searched through your social media history and found that I was. That is amazing. That's kind a great kudos idea. to you them. Probably on freaked out. You're like, totally what's did. going on? <laughs> so I love that's a that. Um, no, that's genius. Yeah, he's yeah, he's lovely. So anyway, that was a really like you know profoundly life changing yeah. experience. And then working on How I Met Your Mother was profoundly different in a different way, which is that I just loved the energy of that set. A Pam Fryman directed you know 99 of the episodes, and she just was someone that she definitely impacted the way I wanted to direct in terms of the energy I wanted to keep on a set. She is so kind and so caring and um, lovely and at the same time completely in control and ridiculously talented, has the most outstanding taste. She's just this incredible combination of strength, control, and kindness. And so often when you hear about strong women, the next word you hear is bitch and it sucks. And, you know, it's she's to me someone who really redefined the idea of a strong woman and a woman in power and that you can really do that and be kind. And I, I was just so impressed with that. And. It made going to work every day just absolutely so much fun. And plus, it was a comedy where my job was to go to work every day and make people laugh and laugh and smile. And it's so rare that somehow, you know, I feel like I play these roles where I have like the <laughs> weight of the world on my shoulders all the time. So to be able to go to work and be like, my biggest concern today is like, am I going to hug Josh Radner? You know, like, <laughs> it's just sort of really fun. Am I going to hit the punchline yeah, the right exactly. way? Okay. Like, I'm going to make a little pouty face because he's going to say something sad and then I'm going to smile and like twist my hair. <laughs> so it was, there was something so liberating yeah. and fun about being um, on a show that was a comedy and was so much fun. And I was a fan of, so like the first time I sat at the booth with them, I was like, guys, I'm at the booth. And they're like, what? What booth? And I'm like, the booth. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, you don't understand that the booth, like awesome. the booth you sit at is a big deal. And they're like, oh, really? And I was like, ah, yes. <laughs> I mean, you've had the rare opportunity to be a part of some really, you know, frankly, recent in recent times, iconic TV shows that yeah. have really resonated with fans in a profound way. I mean, House, we know, was like the most successful show, like, in, it's some, in the Guinness Book of World Records. Right? Yes. Something crazy like that. It, it's David true. David Shore is living on an island with seven <laughs> islands around him. <laughs> he 
probably could be, but instead he's like show running four other shows. If he, didn't, if he wasn't doing that. Um, but it's interesting because, and then uh, see how I met your mother and of course once. And But the fandom, I'm curious like your perspective on the fandom of once, for instance, mm-hmm. versus House, which House, as we said, like most successful show at the time in that run. Yeah. But there's something different about a show like once where mm-hmm. there is shipping and there is fanfic and there yes. is. Well, all- I mean, we House was pre-Twitter. So that immediately changes things. Who knows what would have happened if it was during social media, the way social media exists today. Um, I'm sure there would have been all sorts of ships. (laughs) Took me the longest time to figure out. I was like, what is a ship? Like (laughs) the first season on once, I was like, what? What people? A bunch of people have boats. Took now me a while. Well I'm, acquainted, I was slow. I'm sure. I was slow to the ship, but now, now I'm you know on all the it. vernacular. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is a weird thing because you know you want to be true to your character, and you also want to serve the vision that the showrunners have, and yeah. you want the showrunners to be true to their vision. You know, Eddie and Adam have worked so long at the highest levels in order to be in a position where they can create a show like this and right. and put it into the world and they deserve to put their vision in the world they they've more than earned that and what they write is beautiful and and creative and surprising and innovative you know so they have all these great things going on and 10 years ago if they were doing that they would have no idea if anyone cared who was with who right. or you know where people wanted the storyline to go but now people have this medium where they can have a very loud voice yeah. and um and you know the artists are sensitive <laughs> that's our job is to be sensitive so it's this weird situation where you've got all these highly sensitive highly creative people trying so hard to ignore the fact that a lot of people are saying terrible things to them. Again, at, at, at any second, yeah, access it. Any, it's in your hand. You're carrying, like, potential death in your potential hand. Potential validation or, or hatred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All it's in one device. really, really, you know, precarious. So, um... You know, I think we're all learning. It, this is the beginning of social media yeah. mixed with um, TV, film, art, all those things. And so um, we're, we're learning. We're like pioneering how to deal with that, how yeah. to, to, to know how much of it should impact storytelling and how much of it should be ignored. And, um, you know, ultimately, I do feel like it's good that people are super passionate. That's what you want. You want yeah. people to be passionate. And people do need different outlets to be able to blow off steam or or say what they need to say and whatever. Um, it's just we as artists, I think, have to learn how to not take it personally and sure. not look too closely at it because we we do need to show up and do our job and we do need to be true to the character and we do need to tell the story that we, we intended to tell um, and not worry about, you know, what everybody else is yeah. saying. But... I do think it's good that they're passionate. You know, I think it would be a lot Rather worse that, yeah, exactly. if people were not saying anything or <laughs> didn't care. You know, apathy is much worse than than hatred, yeah. you know. So um, I also love that, you know, people get so angry and they say all these terrible things, but they keep watching the show. <laughs> so I'm like, I mean, how angry are you really? <laughs> You're still watching it. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a tough thing. I was, um, I just did this fan convention in Vancouver, and I don't know if you saw this at all, but um, I got asked a very similar question. And I said, you know, I was trying to really figure it out. And I was like having a really conflicted moment about social media. And I went to a baseball game 
And I was sitting in front of these guys that were screaming. I mean, just absolutely screaming at the other team, you know, how bad of a pitcher he was and how bad of this and that. And like saying horrible things about the guy's mothers and, you know, all these crazy, crazy things. And I immediately start to like sweat. And I'm like, people have to work so hard to be in Major League Baseball. Like, do you understand the hours they put in just because they're not on our team? You know, I start to like, all of the hours and the work and the passion starts to like, and then I was like, Oh my God, this is Twitter. Yeah. Like, this is the same thing. These guys, maybe they are frustrated at work or who knows what they're frustrated with. They need to get it out at the baseball game. They need to hate the For other team. For whatever reason, it's become a place where it's safe to do that, just like yeah, now just it's safe to do that game, on your. You know, they're shouting it into a stadium and it doesn't get recorded forever. Yeah. You know, the difference is when people are doing that on Twitter, you sort of can keep going back and seeing it over and over again. But I do think we have to kind of look at it. As a sporting arena, you know, where people are going to choose teams and sides, they're going to want to root for things, they're going to want to root against things. And we kind of have to go like, okay, like, let's just step away. Let everybody have their team. Let everybody have their thing that they want to root for and just keep doing our job. (laughs) Is there there anything that I should take back to my brother for notes on how... (laughs) That he not not his story wise. Oh, okay. Term, I was gonna say I don't just, have any story notes. In, t- in terms of how is he a good boss to work for? You can say something great, negative. Yeah. I, no, I want. I don't want the great. I know I want you the don't. Negative. I, yeah. I mean, I, listen. I wish I could give you the negative, oh, but unfortunately, um, yeah. The the one thing we all wish on the show is that um, that Adam and Eddie were able to be in Vancouver all the time. That's the hardest thing for all of us because. Um, it is a group of really passionate actors and everybody really cares and everybody wants to do a great job and everybody ultimately wants to make Adam and Eddie happy. So the hard thing is when you've got 2000 miles between you and the bosses and you're guessing half the time, you know, obviously we've gotten to know them well and we can guess better now. Um, But when um, Adam came up with Eddie to direct an episode, it was just heavenly because we had answers right away. We knew we didn't have to wonder. It was like, Oh my God, I know for sure that we're serving the, the vision. The creator has come. Yeah, but it really felt that way. Oz it was just came like, from behind oh, the curtain. such a relief. I can you know? ask you directly. Yeah, and even just like what happens is you kind of do several different takes and you try to do variations hoping that something in there hits sure. the, what they're wanting. But when they're there and you know you're hitting what they want, then you can keep growing on that. So you feel like you can actually give more yeah. because you're you know you're already pointing in the right direction and you can keep like building on that. Whereas like you're like, okay, well I'll do this and then I'll turn sideways and I'll do that and I'll try that. And then hopefully <laughs> one of those things is what they want, you know? So um I would say, yeah, the only and I know that that's not it's just not realistic with the families and the writers' sure. room and all that stuff, but the the dream would be to have um, you know. Eddie and Adam up there with us. Um, this is going out on Monday, so Warning Label says now screened. It had an amazing reception. Oh, Congratulations. Okay. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, where are people going to be able to see? Do we, is what's the like, um, Where do shorts like this well, end up? Yeah, I what mean, happens? what's interesting is like I didn't kind of think this was going to go anywhere. I made a short film thinking like I was going to see it and 10 friends were going to see it. Um, I was thrilled that it got into Tribeca. It's now it's going to have its West Coast premiere at the Palm Springs Film Festival in nice. June. Um, it's also gotten into uh, three or four others that I don't even want to name because I feel like I've been trying to take it one day at a time and I haven't gotten through Tribeca yet. Sure. Um, so it will be at several festivals that people can get tickets to to go see. We're also um, in negotiations for um, a domestic and international um, distribution, actually. There there are a couple companies out there, and I can't I, because we're negotiating, I can't really say who, but... 
Um, there are a couple companies out there that sort of pair different shorts together with right. a few other things that make sense thematically and then do like small theatrical releases and then that turns into things like iTunes and Netflix and all that. So nice. um, we are right now negotiating to be a part of a female protagonist-driven um, themed grouping of short Amazing. films. So um, so hopefully there will be, you know, like a small art house release at some point yeah. and, then, and then it'll be available on all of the online streaming sources there you go well if you can i'm sure seeing it on the big screen is is gonna for you I and know. for an audience very, is gonna I be think that's special what I'm gonna be really oh that's gonna be a moment i've been watching it on my tv you know i've seen it probably a hundred thousand times between editing and color timing sure. and everything else but um you know it'll be really cool to also be with an audience and see what yeah. they respond to what they laugh at what they don't laugh at you know i just i'll be interested to see it'll be cool it's gonna be great um heartfelt congratulations to you Thank i'm really you. i'm really happy for you and uh it, honestly it's been it's been great talking to you over the years and you were so sweet to help me out recently and uh i'm happy to you know continue the conversation Anytime. thanks dude <laughs> thanks dude <laughs> thanks tracy flick oh my god she's buried <laughs> she's gone <laughs> on the beaches of Loyola, chicago she's go buried there <laughs> Should be a gravestone. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Oh, thank you. It's awesome. That's the show, guys. I'm Josh Horowitz. This has been Happy, Sad, Confused. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Hit me up on Twitter, Joshua Horowitz. Go over to wolfpop.com. Check out all the amazing shows over there. And most importantly, check back in next week for another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused? Pop. Pop? Pop. 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 Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.